Thanks so much for that, y'all. That was really cool. So, Frosty the Snowman doesn't quite seem to fit. Pastor Ed said I had some explaining to do. So, last year at Christmas time, we learned that Rudolph was, in fact, one of the great missionaries of all time. So, I thought tonight we should learn about Frosty the Great Prophet. So, thanks to the praise team for reminding us how the story goes. All right, so let's, let's just get right into it. Right off the bat, what do we learn from Frosty the Snowman? So Frosty the Snowman is a fairy tale, they say. Many say the same thing about our Lord, right? Many say that he's just a myth. I won't go through all the details tonight, but the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is by far, and by far, the most documented event in ancient history. It's fascinating to dive into um, into the evidence, and not just the biblical evidence, but there's just as much, if not more, non-biblical evidence about the life of Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection. So maybe you will have an opportunity this Christmas break to to dig into that yourself to see that the Jesus that we're celebrating tonight is in fact the Savior of the world. So internet trolls will call Jesus a myth or a good teacher or maybe just a character in some kind of fairy tale. Um, but but I, I trust and hope that you have recognized that he is in fact the, the Messiah that was foretold for thousands of years and has come to save his, his children, to bring them back to him, to be with him for all eternity. So back to Frosty. Also, he was made of snow, but the children know that he came to life one day. So the children know. So this, I think this insinuates that the adults don't believe him, they believe the kids, right? The children know, but the adults know better, so they don't really believe. In Matthew 18, the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were really setting, they thought they were really setting Jesus up for what they hoped would be the only answer, which is something like Jesus saying to them, something like, you, my cherished and devoted disciples, you will always and forever be the greatest in heaven. That's what they're hoping here, something along those lines. Instead, Jesus, of course, didn't say anything like that. Instead, he called over a little child, and he said this in verse 3, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so critics will cling to this statement of Jesus and say that this means that Christians are brain dead, that following Jesus requires you to not think, right? But, but Jesus didn't say that. He said nothing about checking your brain at the door. Um, he actually challenged us to use our brains, right? So God is very clear about this. When you read the entire story of the Bible, he's, he's encouraging us to, to think through what he's telling us, what his word says, who he is, and all of the things that he's asking us to believe. Why does he encourage, us, encourage that? Why does he want us to think like that? Because he created math and science and logic and philosophy. And he knows that all of his words fit within those things that he created. So he doesn't, he's not worried that you might 
figure out something that he doesn't want you to know, right? Everything is that was created, he created, including these things that we could use to study the word. So he knows that he created them all. He knows that there's no question that you could ask that he can't answer. So Jesus didn't say to us to check our brains at the door. That's not what he meant. He's given us these guiding principles to live by, but he wants us to use our brains as we follow him. So what did Jesus mean when he said this about the little kids? He was pointing out that as, let's say, advanced as we think we are as adults, we still have a lot to learn from these precious little ones. What can we learn? Well, I just let's start with this. Probably the most important thing. Little ones are highly unlikely to trip over their own pride and ambition, unlike us. This is something that, that as adults, as advanced adults, we struggle with a lot. Kids don't have that same concept, and it's not an issue. So I think this is the primary thing that we can learn from these little ones, right? That, that our pride and ambition don't have... That it's not us, right? It's, it's about Jesus first. So we can learn that from them. So Jesus said that the little ones will see, receive the kingdom of heaven. Think of the unbridled joy that little ones have when they get a gift from someone they love. Right? That happens on Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas, all the time, right? These little ones, they get a gift. And when they're little, maybe when they get a little bit bigger, there's a, uh, I don't really want that. I already have one of those. But when they're little, it's, it's just lights up the whole room. So most of you know Layla, right, our granddaughter. So if, if her Nana gives her something, it's the greatest thing she's ever seen. So literally she'll give her a rock for her rock garden. And because it comes from Nana, this, her response is, Nana, this is so beautiful. And it's just a rock. But to Layla, it's the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful things she's ever seen. So, question. Are we authentically joyful about the things that God gives us, right? Starting with the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. Or the gift of the Holy Spirit that leads us. Or the gift of eternal life that's promised us. Are we joyful about those things? Jesus taught us that faith isn't blind and foolish, doesn't mean checking your brain at the door, but it is humble, it is honest, it is authentic, and it's joyful. And all of us could use a little bit more of that in our lives. All right, third, it turns out that Frosty was quite prophetic. He, Frosty the snowman had to hurry on his way. He waved goodbye saying, don't you cry. I'll be back again someday. I'll be back again someday. So this one's pretty obvious. Frosty was prophesying his return. And there's a pretty obvious connection here to the story of Jesus, right? Um, you're probably aware that some 700 years before the birth of Jesus, several prophets in the Old Testament had some very specific prophecies about a coming Messiah. Just a, a few of the specific ones. Isaiah prophesied the virgin birth. Micah proclaimed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Hosea prophesied that Messiah would end up in Egypt because Joseph and Mary were trying to run from Herod, and so they end up in Egypt. Um, at Christmas time, we rarely, we, we, 
we usually hear about these prophecies. They're, um, they are quite specific, quite interesting. I think there's more than 50 of them specific to Jesus. But let's look at a different Old Testament prophet, one that we usually don't hear about at Christmas time. And that's the prophet Elijah. So we're not going to read his story in depth tonight. But if you're interested in following up with that, you can find his story primarily in 1 Kings 17 through 19 and in the beginning of 2 Kings. But just as some highlights, Elijah served as God's prophet in the 9th century B.C. His name literally means Jehovah is my God. And Elijah was quite busy serving as God's prophet at this time. So some of the things that you might remember about Elijah. At Elijah's word, there was a drought in the land for three and a half years, not even due over this period of time. And at his word, and only at his word, did the drought end. At the Lord's direction, Elijah went to a desert place, and ravens brought him food to sustain him. Elijah turned a widow's pittance of of oil and flour into a never-ending supply. Elijah raised that same widow's son from the dead. After challenging hundreds of prophets of Baal to a contest... And then taunting them when they failed, Elijah called down fire onto Mount Carmel to prove that, that the God he served, the God of, the, of Israel, was the one true God. He also parted the Jordan River for him and his protege, Elijah. And, oh yeah, he never actually died, right? He got called up into heaven on a fiery chariot. This is a pretty good list of Things that Elijah did as God's prophet. He also prophesied some things, right? He prophesied that Ahab's sons would all be destroyed, that Jezebel would be eaten by dogs, and that Ahaziah would die of his illness. Elijah was a true follower of the Lord. In fact, we read that Elijah's secret sauce, if you will, was his faith, trust, and complete dependence on God. But what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, what happens near the end has a lot to do with Christmas. All of this sets the stage for what seems like something uncharacteristic for Elijah to do. But it really is very similar to what all of us probably do at some point in our lives. So you might remember this part of the story. Even though Elijah was God's man, even though he was God's prophet, even though he was God's spokesperson, he was God's hands that performed these miracles, there came a time when Elijah ran away, right? Tucked his tail and ran. He was afraid. At one point, he even thought it would be better to be dead. And God took this time to teach Elijah a deep lesson. Right about this time, Elijah was, had run, he was hiding, and God brought forth a powerful wind and a great earthquake and a massive fire. But then Elijah didn't find God in any of those things. And then God whispered to him. And he just talked to him. And this is when God ministered to Elijah, ministered to his spirit in this whisper. And this is the, the great lesson that, that, I guess, he didn't teach Elijah, but he reminded him of. And he reminds us today, right, that God is with us. Sometimes it's big and crazy and miraculous, but 
doesn't matter the circumstance. God is with us. Elijah needed to be reminded that. And we need to be reminded of that too. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas, that, that God is with us, Emmanuel. All right, let's move in our Bibles forward about almost a thousand years. And we come to the story of the first Christmas. And so in the Gospel of Luke, he's telling us the Christmas story. And we're introduced to someone who teaches us about expecting God to be with us. Right? This person wasn't waiting for something, but he was waiting for someone, the Messiah. And, but you don't find this person in the nativity scene. And as far as I know, no Christmas carol was ever written about this person. But he has a powerful lesson to teach us about waiting and expecting someone, Emmanuel, God with us. So Luke 2, starting in verse 22, we read that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple because it was time for the purification rites required by the Jewish law. And then in verse 25, I'm going to read 25 through 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the, into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Okay, so in verse 25, Luke uses a Greek word, um, of anticipation that identifies that Simeon was waiting with expectation, with great expectation, the coming of the Messiah, right? It literally means he was alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. Right? And that's a, that's a powerful reminder, alert to his presence and ready to welcome him. Right? That's a question for us tonight. Are we, are we alert to his presence and ready to welcome him into our lives? This is, right, this is way different than just sitting on the couch and waiting for the commercial to end, right, or, or all the other things that we wait for, right? This is a deep, deep expectation of our hearts for, for the Messiah to be with us, all right? So we know from history that things weren't generally going well for Israel at this time. They, they hadn't heard for God for hundreds of years. They were under the control of Rome, and... They were living in fear, many wondering if the Messiah would ever return. And verse 26 shows us that Simeon had, had great hope for what he was expecting because God had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah. Right? The promise to, Messiah, to, to Simeon about the Messiah is the same promise that we have with us tonight. And that is what was fulfilled on that first promise, that first Christmas, the promise of God being with us. I want to end with a, a story about a little girl. It could be any little girl. Probably most of us have had this kind of experience in our lives. So, so Anna was only three, and she often woke up in the middle of the night and could only be comforted by her parents. So she would run into their room and, and find comfort with them. One night, her mom was going to be out of town for work. So her and her dad had this discussion about, you know, mom's not going to be here tonight if you, if you need us. And she was upset by that. So he said, how about we try a different plan? How about you go to bed and, 
And tonight, I will sleep in your top bunk. So I'll be there with you. So he put her to bed, and she went to bed at her regular time. And a few hours later, when he went to bed, he did climb in the top bunk and slept with her. And she slept through the night. And the next day, he said, I'm so proud of you. You slept through the night. And she said, well, I knew you were with me. And he said, how could you know you were sleeping when I went to bed? And he said, because, she said, because you told me you would be, right? And so it's been pretty brief, but this is the story that, that God is telling us at, from thousands of years ago to the first Christmas to today, which is, I'm with you. I'll never leave you and forsake you. And he went so far as to step into time and history to be one with us and for us. And we celebrate that at Christmas, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' birth is, is God going out of his way to fulfill this promise. So tonight, I pray that we would all remember that God's Son, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, is with us. Let's pray. Lord, we, we give you thanks for being the good Father whose love knows no bounds. Tonight we celebrate the Messiah, your Son, our Savior, who became one of us so that we might have a relationship with our Creator, now and forever. As we celebrate Christmas, may our thoughts and words and actions reflect the beauty of God being with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.